Um, welcome to 2019. Mm-hmm. So far, so okay, so, I guess. Okay, yeah. It's shut down. We're never going to end. Shut down. Do you have, um, I guess not like resolutions, but do you have like things you're excited about for 2019? Things on the horizon or something you're working on or... Um, interesting. Um, work-wise, just kind of the same stuff I've been doing for the past few years. Um, more so trying to kind of, uh, I don't know, I've been in a part of 2018, I was in this weird funk of like, I don't know if it was burnout or just kind of Mm. lost some of that intrinsic motivation sometimes-ish stuff. So I'm trying to get that going again. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the more general working on kind of my own anxiety stuff Mm -hmm. goals. Um. Yeah, I'm 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 excited in July. I'm gonna go rafting with my dad for a week in British Columbia. Oh, fun! Which is gonna be fun. That's great. Yeah. Have you ever been up there before? Is this like a new? I never. I've been. I, I never. I've only been in Canada very briefly. It wasn't in there, so I'm very excited. Yeah. Been rafting once before. And it was awesome. That's gonna so, be really fun. Yeah. That's great. And if it's like the previous trip we took with this kind of company, it's gonna be very drunken. Because like it's the kind of a company that like oh, you raft on no. the river, do the rapids or whatever, and then you go to the place alongside the river and camp. Yeah. But like the the folks who work for the company kind of set up the camp. Yeah. And like yeah. you're sleeping in a tent, or most of the nights previously we did in Idaho a few years ago, sleeping out under the stars. But like you can bring, they give you food and like some beer and wine, but you're welcome okay. to bring whatever you want with you. Ooh, nice. So we brought. There were six guys of our friend group, um, my dad and some other guys, um, his age and one guy my age. It was six nights. We had a handle of Jack Daniels, a bottle of vodka, a bottle of scotch, a bottle of Knob Creek, a bottle of tequila, and a bottle, and I think a moonshine plus two cases of beer. And we drank all of it over the course, like every night. It was Jeez. like just thing was like sitting around the campfire in like the middle of Idaho, just like every night getting shit faced. <laughs> and then like wow. whitewater rafting, like hanging out. It was really fun. That's and so fun. I would imagine this will be kind of the same thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, there, there was only one day when I was like a bit out of commission, like the next yeah. day, and I was like, I'm gonna go on like the really, like the the smooth like the big raft. <laughs> I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm like trying to see. It sounds really loud behind us. Turning the gain down. Yeah. For all you soundies out there, you know Sorry. this is a this is a very complicated technical. Yeah, uh, this is very. There's a, a lot of knobs and switches in front of us mm-hmm. right now. Yep. Um, no, not at all. How about yourself? Looking forward to this year. Anything you're eyeing? Yeah, I mean, I'm still, I'm going to stay in this current job. So like, like you, just sort of like much of the same, um, trying to get my like finances in order, I guess. Yes, that's a big one for me. And I don't know. We're also thinking about like buying a house and what that sort of looks like. And if we have the wiggle room to do that and mm-hmm. um and then i'm also so i've talked about this before you know this just follow me on instagram that i'm like a bit into astrology yes and all of that um very in like an intermediate level i'm like you know i think i'll try to step that up i've also recently gotten into tarot and like tarot readings Whoa. so i'm like we're gonna, gonna need to do this on, on the podcast because yeah. all I know is what my sign is that that I'm a Taurus. Yeah, and I would yeah. love for you to be like, okay, Jack, this is like, what's up with you? Yeah, here's you, and just lay it out. I Absolutely. would love to know because I know nothing about that beyond like, beyond like whatever mm. your sign is, which right. is like what month you were born in, basically. Sure. I don't know anything about like moon yeah. positions and like, uh oh, something's in retrograde. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm interested. Yeah. I, it's it is surprisingly complicated like 
Oh yeah. It is surprisingly. I don't know. I feel like it. That's it was one not of those surprising. Th- it was surprising to me to just, just looking at all the stars. I would imagine it'd be complicated. It is, and it's it's like strangely. I don't know. It's um, more sort of mathematical than you think. Mm-hmm. And there's like, oh, if you're this planet was at this angle when you were born, or if it's like in this sort of position uh, in relation to the moon, then it means this. And so there's a lot to unpack. So I'm gonna I'm gonna be looking into that this year. That's gonna cool. be sort of my like intellectual since I'm not in school anymore. My like intellectual um, project for 2019. Have you ever seen the James Bond movie Live and Let Die? It's from no. the 70s. It's one of the Roger Moore ones from the 70s. No. Part of it takes place in Harlem. Part of it's in like the Caribbean, like voodoo and stuff. Okay. And and Jane Seymour, Dr. Quinn Medicine yeah. Woman, is a tarot card reader. One of the main characters. Amazing. There's like several tar- like really dramatic tarot card scenes. Ooh, okay. All right. I need to look at it's crazy. That's really funny. Yeah, no, it's I've a classic like Roger Moore era James Bond movies. Where they're like, this one's about voodoo, or like Moonraker. This one's in space, or like this one's underwater, and like they're just like, all right, this is the gimmick of this, this one. This is the one. And this is like the voodoo this. one. There's like a, like there's like several weird like snake scenes. I'm it's sure like, it's a little bit racist as well if it involves voodoo. It's fine. A little bit. I wrote it down. I'm I'm interested. Yeah. I'm very interested in that. It's fun. Um, speaking of Bond, did you see the Golden Globes were also this past weekend? I'm a huge award show person. I didn't watch them. I'm sorry. No, that's so fine. Um, that's so fine. Uh, and if, uh, I think Daniel Craig was there and mm-hmm. Idris Elba was also there and they took this photo together and everyone was like, past James Bond, like future James Bond. He's too old. It's it's over. He should have been ja- He would have been an amazing James Bond, but it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think that rumor sort of died down a little bit, but yeah. just for the for those oh, yeah. bond heads totally. out there, but, it like yeah. set them aflame. Yeah. Like, now it should be John Boyega, or or yeah. Chadwick Boseman. But he's not Brit. Yeah, he's yes, not he's Brit. Brit. Yes, he is. No, Chadwick Boseman. Black he? Panther. I'm pretty sure that Chadwick Boseman Absolutely is not. British. No. Okay, I'm looking it up right <laughs> okay, now. Okay, great. I know John Boyega is. Yes. But I could have sworn that Chadwick Boseman actually was. Mm-mm. No, fuck, he's American. God yeah, damn it. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> I would just, like, assume that he was. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I know. There was some. There was someone else someone pitched. I was like, oh, yeah, that'd be good. Some young guy. Slip in my mind now. Um, speaking of fandoms, I feel like the fanables have been given a lot of wonderful gifts lately. I mean, gifts as in G-I-F-S <laughs> and G-I-F-T-S lately with the Arctic trailer and the Polar trailer. Oh, Polar looks fucking rad. Amazing. I can't wait. I can't wait. I'm so excited. It comes out in like a week and a half or something like that. Um, yeah, it's like John Wick, except it looks, with Ness Mickelson. Yeah, basically. And Vanessa Hudgens is the dog. As the dog. Oh my God, amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it looks. It just looks awesome. The it trailer does. looks great. He's on an eye patch in some parts of it, which looks. I'm, I'm on board for. I'm yes. just. Oh. Yes. 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 I love it. I know, and I'm like, well, you know, everyone get on the Mess Mickelson train. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like he has slept on a bit in popular culture. So hopefully, this is like his. Yeah. His big uh, break into middle America. <laughs> well, I commented on someone's Twitter a few like a month or so ago that. Someone posted a GIF of, um, or GIF, I don't care, of uh, a little sequence from the movie Arthur 
that yeah. I remember that right. Mess Mickelson was in, that that's the, the Clive Owen King Arthur movie. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a hot mess, but it was fun. Keira Knightley, uh-huh. Stellan Sarsgaard. And I had forgotten that Hugh Dancy was also in that. Yeah. And it's yeah. a scene of the two of them. And I was like, fuck, Hugh Dancy was also in that. He was Galahad. I remember that Mess was in it because he had like these like crazy dreadlocks right. and like his yes. beard. And it was yeah. awesome. He looked really shabby, yeah. And I was like, oh, i got to rewatch Arthur now. And we watched yeah. Hugh and Mess crushing it. Right, apparently they've been BFFs for a while. I would love that. I love that. We need like a road movie. <laughs> buddy comedy. Oh my god, like a buddy cop comedy of Mess Mickelson is like, I'm too old for this shit. <laughs> yeah, Nancy. he's a like scrappy young kid. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Seven, except funny and with Mess Mickelson. Wait, people. Seven wasn't funny? <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I think I have some problems. Yeah, I need to <laughs> call my therapist. Um, okay, well... Thank you to our girl, Emma. Emma. For your um, another great email you yes. sent us. And Thank some you. great questions. We were sort of soliciting questions on our Twitter. Yes. Welcome, everybody, though. Before we jump into that, to the Ethical Butchers. But this is kind of intro. This is our... Wow. Well, well, this is our mini episode. I don't know if we should do an intro or we should just, like, wow. dive in and just keep talking. Welcome to the Ethical Butchers. Welcome. <laughs> Our mini, in-between seasons, mini mini-sode, yep. special episode, Before I guess. Before we kick off season two. We'll see how many it's going to be. I know. Lord knows. We've already been talking for ten minutes. Ten minutes. It's okay. It's fine. Um, yeah, welcome to our mini episode. We're going to be reading some wonderful fan fiction that you all sent us, and then mm-hmm. one we found, one we yes. discovered. So I hope that it's all right that we read it on air. We'll be sure to credit them. One hundred percent. I think so. I think it's fantastic. So and that the the one who wrote the one that we found wrote one of the another ones that we were suggesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so yes, just like some selections of things that y'all sent us. Not gonna be the whole works, but just highlighting some really cool work because it's an awesome fandom and you guys are doing great stuff. It's fantastic, and you're writing a lot. That's why we can't. Read it's it amazing. All. It's so long, uh, and it's all great. And and you're still churning it out, which is blowing yeah. my mind. Like some of this stuff was from 2016, 2015, but some of it's right. from like three weeks. Like it's crazy right. how there's stuff being put. Like I love this. Yeah, um, that's really fantastic. You guys are awesome. Um, so yeah, we we tried to pick out some uh, some selections that we um, thought would would make sense for the time period that we're here and um, and all mm-hmm. that. But we'll be sure to let you know who wrote them and what they're called, so yes. you can find them on your own and read the rest. Um, and it and it feels like a good kind of representation, at least of what I've been reading more than these of like long form stuff, alternate universe stuff, more kind of impressionistic stuff, yeah, more sexual stuff. Like it seems that they're. Mm-hmm. What we chose seems to be kind of a ni- nice, um, yeah, kind of grab ha- bag. Yeah, grab bag, but kind of like a picture of how diverse the animal fanfic is out there. Not just the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. Really cool. Um, it is really cool. Um, and this is coming from someone who, like, I just thought all fanfic was sexual. <laughs> to be honest with you, like, growing up on Tumblr, I was like, yeah, fanfic is like Harry Potter, Draco Malfoy, like, fucking in Boning. the back of Hogwarts. Like, <laughs> I thought that's what all it was, but. Um, there's a lot of nuance and a lot of storytelling and stuff. It's like really that, cool. So. Um, and I guess we should also say, like, maybe spoiler alert, maybe for kind some of, of this stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's we chose to do this now as opposed to whenever we initially called for a lot of these things early in season one because mm-hmm. there were spoilers that we 
we're going to get to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe there are elements of that that we might get to in the future. I can't yeah. really remember. Some stuff. But, um, like, this is kind of its own little standalone thing. So if you're listening to this, you know, there could be allusions or references to things that happen yeah. in season two and three. And just, like, being, you know. Yeah. Be up for that. Nothing I can think of, like, explicitly. But, um, but yeah, just but just FYI. Great. Um, okay. Are we, can I talk yes, about Emma course. now? Please do. <laughs> Thank you, Emma, for your email. Um, she, uh, right, sent us some questions, which we will answer in just a moment, but I wanted to mention that back whenever we were talking about, oh, what episode was it, uh, with, oh, Georgia Mansion in the hyperbaric chamber. Yes. And we were like, how is it that she just burned alive in there? No one's around, mm-hmm. like, what's happening? How'd the comb get in there? How'd the comb get in there? Um, and Emma did some research, which we really appreciate, and, um, <laughs> because we clearly did not think ahead to do that um and she talked about how good hyperbaric chambers have like irrigation systems in case there is a fire there's also supposed to be someone watching the patient at all times um and in order to like open the chamber the whole room has to be like depressurized so all that to say we're just gonna have to succumb ourselves to the dream logic of how that comb got inside that hyperbaric chamber because how could all of that happen yeah i mean or just like you know toss it up to hannibal's guile yeah Yeah. just like he got he got it in there either Mm -hmm. you know staging some some diversion or something it got in there yeah yeah so that i mean thank you for for looking that up and sharing Mm -hmm. that with us um and do you want to talk about her questions now? Yeah. Okay. We put out the call for anyone who wanted to ask questions. Um, Twitter sh- shared our tweet a lot, but no no comments. I love it. 20 <laughs> likes, 12 retweets, and zero comments. <laughs> uh, it's all good. Yeah, I appreciate Whatever. the love. I appreciate, yeah, appreciate the, the love. Retweets. The boosts, I appreciate it. Hell yeah. Um, so her first question was, if Hannibal were to make you into a dish, what dish would you like to be made into and... Why? I love this question, and I've thought way too much about it, more so just thinking about, like, what kind of food I like. Um, and I, 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 I think that I would like to be something really savory and really, yeah. like, something that's, like, slow braised, like, you know, like, yeah. you know, like a, what is this, like a short rib, something like yeah. that, that's, yeah. like, simmered in wine and stock mm-hmm. and been just, like, it's so rich and it falls off the bone. Like, yeah. like take my leg... And, like, you know, carve it up and then, like, just simmer it yeah. in some stuff and its own juices for a while. Like a, in, like, a Dutch oven with some wine and, like, Beautiful. pearl onions, you know, something like that. That sounds great to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good. Watch out, Jack, because that <laughs> shit sounds good. Um, yeah, yeah. Especially, it's like, smoked, like, low and slow for a while. So exactly. it just sort of falls apart. It just kind of falls apart. Serve it with some rice, maybe. Mm-hmm. And a nice hearty red wine, mm-hmm. and it's that—that that sounds like a nice meal, especially in the winter time. Because I think because it's cold outside right, right now, right? And I'm just thinking like that's the kind of stuff you want in the winter time. Some kind Absolutely. of absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I think I would. Um, I think I'd be want to be made into like a like a rice bowl, like a poke bowl or something. <laughs> Um, I've got some like you Molina know, sushi. Uh, yeah, some like you know. I'm thinking like maybe um, you know, there's like pork belly mm-hmm. like noodle bowls or something like that something like that 
Nice. Because I've got some like, uh, you know, I've got some like squishy bits to me, like just sort of cut up. I mean, I'm, I'm probably high in fat content. Like uh-huh. it's probably real great. Um, just in some like nice pho or something. Uh, oh, that um, that sounds nice. Yeah. Like, like a really nice like big brothy. Yeah, yeah, brothy. Throw some veggies in there. Um, you know, for like a quick lunch out with some mm. friends, like swing by and grab a nice Molina pho bowl. Mm. Um, Lovely. Quick and easy. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Make make use of this <laughs> high fat content I've got on me. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it's fun. The other thing I thought of was like when he was slicing the hammy barico, like just like take mm. my arm and like just like cure it with salt for like, yes. for like three months and like that get it all nice and cured yes. and salty Ooh, yeah. and then just like take thin slices of my arm mm-hmm. with like some really nice like pecorino cheese and just eat that luxuriously with some crackers delish <laughs> and now i'm hungry i know right now i'm hungry i just had oatmeal for breakfast this morning oh fun so did i time to yeah yeah packaged or, yes yeah yeah, the instant packages. Yeah, just yeah. Put two those in a bowl and um, heat them up in the microwave. No, fuck, no, sh- no shame there. That's and I take trail mix and throw it in there, like oh. nuts and raisins in my oatmeal. That's that's a good idea. Yeah, I like the texture of the oatmeal with like the crunchiness the of the nuts. That's a really so you're making it your own then. Oh yeah, yeah. Um. Okay, so, so she also <laughs> this was also maybe a joke, but Emma took this seriously, which I love. Yes. Um, she said that we asked you all who in our logo was holding the ear and who was holding the nose. And if if you could tell us why. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say that I think she guessed correctly. I'm holding the nose, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, you can't get the smell of butt out of your mouth. Yes. That that as well as the fact that I'm slightly browner than Jack. So <laughs> that shows yeah. the logo. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. And the arm is slightly darker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's no uh, there's there's no reason. But yeah, let's go with I can't get the smell of butt out of my mouth. Great, that yeah, I, that I yeah. And I'm a, a speech pathologist, and like she said, I'm a, I'm a speech pathologist, so I get the idea of hearing ears, like that kind yeah. of being a part. You know, I'm not an audiologist, but that is part of mm-hmm. my training, learning about the hearing system. Um, and I also am completely deaf in one ear, so you know. There we go. And uh, my wife is a deaf ed teacher, so like all these different pieces that kind oh. of make the ear more relevant Weird. to me. So it sort of subconsciously worked out then, I guess, whenever we sent this to John and said, "Make something of this." Make something of this. <laughs> do, yeah, I do love it. Whatever. Um, awesome. Yeah, there you go. And then she asked, finally, have we written any fan fiction for any fandoms that we've been in? And if so, what were they about? Um, or if not, what would we write if we had the time and motivation? I thought about this a lot. Um, it, it's interesting. There's lots of different fandoms that I I can, I can consider myself a fan of a lot of different things. Yeah. But like, out of respect to people who are like really huge fans and, and and in you know kind of capital F fandoms, I don't consider myself in some of those fandoms um, because like. I like so many different things, and there's not things that, like, most things I'm not, like, so into. Like, for example, I love Star Wars, and yet I haven't read any of the books or, like, seen the kind of extended universe stuff. Um, I love all the Song of Ice and Fire and Game of Thrones shows, and I've read all the books, and yet I've read them once through and just like the world. I'm not. Sure, sure. Same thing for Tolkien. um, Same thing for Doctor Who. You know, I used to consider myself much more of a Whovian, um, uh, and then... I, I kind of got off the show a little bit during the Peter Capaldi years, and I'm back, and I like it now. Yeah. But, like, all these things that I'm a fan of, Marvel, too, but I'm not, like, in a fandom. But I would say the thing that I'm the most in the fandom of that I probably 
if I was going to write fanfic, would do would be Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I love listening to Harry Potter podcasts, especially Harry Potter the Sacred Text. I have read the books through a bunch of times, and I've daydreamed the most about kind of being in that world. Oh, sure. So I Absolutely. guess if I wrote fanfic, it would be like placing myself in that world. Yeah. I used to daydream about like a guy from New York City goes to Hogwarts and like is like, yeah. who are these fucking kids? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like before yeah. we knew that Ilvermorny was, was a school in Massachusetts, right. you know, like what if they're like a foreign exchange student? Right, right. Yeah. Um, and I was, you know, so I guess, and I love Harry Potter. I love it. I'm proud. I'm a proud Hufflepuff. Um, mm-hmm. To which I found out that, that there's an off-Broadway play called Puffs that is, like, totally, like, I think it's basically, it's, it's basically fanfic. It's it's through the Fair Use Act, but it's not, like, licensed oh, or okay. by right. Warner oh, Brothers, sure. J.K. Rowling. Definitely and it's not. about, like, you know, a bunch of nerdy, quirky Hufflepuff kids kind of oh. trying to make it in Hogwarts, I think, simultaneously to all of Harry, Ron, and Hermione's insanity. <laughs> oh, that sounds really cute. I yeah. didn't know that. Um, okay, yeah, good good points. I mean, uh, similarly, I, I don't think I've ever been sort of officially, whatever that means, as a part of a capital F fandom. Um, fans of a lot of stuff. I watch a lot yeah. of TV. I watch a lot of movies. Um, I really did not think about this. Um, <laughs> I mean, of course I would write fanfic. So, like, first of all, I'd write fanfic about Hannibal 100%. It would probably involve mm-hmm. Bedelia in some faction, that in some wonderful. form. For our next mini-episode, we got to make sure we have some Bedelia fanfic for Absolutely. our next time around. Yes, I know. I was thinking about that in the show. I was like, surely someone has written Bedelia fanfiction. Listeners, um, send it our way if you know some send stuff. Send it, man. I, that, is, um, that is a true need of mine in my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. Um but man, I know I was like trying to think of like other big. Um, I'm a. This is so stupid. I'm a big Mission Impossible fan. I was thinking that. I was thinking that, or I was thinking like, just like general, DiCaprio. Like yes, yes. I, I am also a huge Leonardo DiCaprio fan. Um, die Hard. He does no wrong. Anything he does. Thank you. Goodbye. Um, but yeah, so like write some like tweak like Tom Cruise Mission Impossible fan fiction mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, Tom Cruise and Ving Rhames have an Ving affair. Ving Rhames, <laughs> right? I know. I was like Ving Rhames or the the guy, the like British fella from Hot Fuzz. Oh uh, sh- oh oh Jesus, Simon Pegg. Yes, yeah, um, he's fantastic. So I was like, yeah, maybe him. Um, or yeah, Leo. Anything that he's but right, like, <laughs> like The Departed, fan. yeah, The Revenant, Wolf of Wall Street fanfic. <laughs> that whole movie you is do. fanfic. <laughs> it really is. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's probably what I would go with. That's those are probably my my biggest um, obsessions when it comes to movie TV. Nice, yeah, nice. <sighs> so lowbrow, I'm afraid. That's so silly. Uh, no, no, you like what you like. Mr. Hospital's great. Yes. Especially the most recent one. I know, I need to see it. it. I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen anything since MI3. MI3 was one like the Chimera virus, right? Yes. I haven't seen anything past that. You didn't see the Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think that was four. No. Okay. There's six now of them, right? There's six. Ghost Nation, now with Ghost Protocol, and now this one, or Fallout. Fallout was was the most most recent one. Um, You should see the Philip Seymour Hoffman one. That was Ghost, directed by J.J. Abrams. Oh, awesome. Yeah. And, I mean... I love Philip Seymour Hoffman. It's scary. And what I like about Mission Impossible... Welcome to the Mission Impossible podcast. Yes, Um, welcome. What I like about Mission Impossible is that it's all... Because they're all different directors, except two of them have been directed by the same person. They all have different tones. Mm -hmm. So, like, MI1 is... so good. So good. (laughs) 
So good. Like classic action. It's fine. Am I too bad? Yeah. Very bad. Directed by John Woo, I think. Oh, gee. Were there dubs in it? Yes. Good. As long as they were dubs. One hundred percent. They are. There are dubs. It is not good. I, I love John. I love. I love John Woo. I love Face Off so much. Oh, oh. I would write Face Off fanfic. Yeah. That's what I write. That's like, that is actually a good choice. Um, but anyway, so it, you should watch a Philip Seymour Hoffman one. It's scary. It, it's like they come off from being sort of like actiony, like lighthearted, and um, MI4 is is a little scary. Love it. Um, all right. Wow. Maybe. Let's dive into this stuff. Let's do this big time. So we're going to take turns reading these different selections. We have five different pieces that we're going to read. Um, either the entirety, one is really short, but then the other four, um, just a selection from, if not the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and we're going to be kind of trading off. Melina's going to be reading from three of them. I'll be reading from two of them, and we'll give the name and the author and all that. Yeah. Um, all of these can be found in an archive of our own. Um, I'm pretty sure that, that that's mm-hmm. like where all fanfic is. But I figured we should say that just in case. Yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. So let's pull this up. I want to make sure that I... Okay, great. Um, all right. Our first... Here, I'm, I'm going to get a little closer to the mic. Mm-hmm. Mm, ASMR. Do you do that? Does that work for you? I haven't tried it. I'm, uh, I don't I think don't... it works for me. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't listen, know. I just listen to episodes of How Did This Get Made to Fall Asleep too. <laughs> Literally every single night. I know. I have a random I number. Gen- I have that. a random number generator on my phone that I then pick, put in one to two hundred four, whatever, and then listen to an episode of Housekeeping. I listen to all of them a million times over, I and it's know just how you can do that. It, That's crazy with them I mean, laughing and like screaming and stuff like that. It, it's just like soothing to me because like I I. I Growing up in New York, I did improv and saw a million, million, million shows at the UCB Theater back when kind of it was in its golden years before everyone then moved to L.A. So literally almost every weekend from like 10th grade to through 12th grade, I saw Paul Shear and Jason Manzoukas' two teams. They were the two Saturday night teams. Mm-hmm. R- Respecto Montalban and Mother. So like I like me and my two friends worshipped those guys, especially yeah. the two of them. Yeah. They were so fucking funny. They're amazing improvisers. Yeah. So it's about the funny podcast and yet... It like kind of has a deeper like emotional yeah. resonance for me hearing the two of them just chat and bullshit. Yeah. So. <laughs> to each their own. All right. I need to burp before I put my face. To Do you like this, by the way? I got a also from East Nashville Beer Works. They're yeah, coffee did. infused dunkel oh, lager. Oh, nice. And it doesn't it's really like, smooth. It is really smooth, and I don't like a lot of darker beers. I feel like sort of sit in my stomach really. Yeah, this is poorly, nice. But this is nice. All right, are we ready? Yeah. <clears throat> this first piece is called Brushstrokes by Dapper Script. There is a beauty in anguish. It's a masterpiece, a shroud of honesty that descends upon the body like a sunlit fine mist in the early morning. Each person is different. Some wear the shroud like a heavy cloak, buckling under the weight, revealing an ugliness under it all. But some, very few, find the shroud and wrap it lightly around themselves becoming under the weight of agony. Will Graham is becoming. He is breathtaking. He is both mortal and deity, clutching haplessly at the edge of himself, struggling to turn away from the transcendence, wrapping him in its wings. He fights like an animal. His words, his claws, his introversion, his teeth. It's a delicate dance that cannot be overstated, a transformation taking shape and subtlety. Few can see the tendrils of change wrap around his throat, 
threading itself like ivy creeping up his legs, over his hands, into his eyes, curling snug and consuming him from within. Hannibal can see. It's slow, creeping, breath by breath, so slow and so subtle that no one else notices. But he sees every perfect second and catalogs it all, a prophet for the word of God. Will Graham breaks so beautifully. He's a feast for the senses, his anguish and his fear finer wines than Hannibal will ever partake of. Every twitch of his expression is a masterpiece. Every crinkle of his brow, the tightness of his eyes, the wrinkle of his nose, and the crack of his lips tell a story. He's a painting in process, an unfinished masterpiece, and Hannibal holds the brush. He slashes violent lines to make up Will's face, his sacrifices in his brushwork. He impales Cassie Boyle to make up Will's jaw, tight and trembling and clenched in agony. He impales Marissa Shore to make up Will's eyes, deep and expressive and haunted in blood. He kills and he watches as his painting comes to life as his deity is realized. Hands and neck, arms and nose, ears and hair, everything mixed with blood and agony. Will becomes, and with every brushstroke, Hannibal realizes he is losing, a slave to his masterpiece. He cages Will behind steel and stone when the realization hits, but he could no more contain Will Graham than he could breathe electricity. His life and death, benediction and wrath, and Hannibal is consumed. He is so consumed that Will's betrayal is almost poetic, Hannibal's perfect life thrown cold with the realization. His masterpiece has started to paint itself, but he has one final detail to add. He slashes Abigail Hobbs's throat to make up Will's lips, chapped and shaking and parted on his screams. Her death is the catalyst of the seed, or perhaps it's Hannibal's anguish, painted in a gutted red smile he carves on Will Graham's stomach to mark his betrayal for the world to see. He washes the paint from his hands, corrosive and crippling, but Will Graham is under his skin, nestled in the space adjacent to his heart, poisoning it from the inside out, molding him, changing him. There is a beauty in anguish. Hannibal's shroud threatens to pull him under, weighted down by the blood on his hands, wrapped thick around his neck. He runs, he lives, he breathes, he kills, but nothing fills him the way the speck of Will Graham left inside does. He battles with forgiveness, the reality of a cold knife to his heart, stabbed through and dragging him down until it realizes, until it releases suddenly. Hannibal doesn't have to look to know who's holding the blade. Will is alive inside, and he is alive in front of Hannibal, and the brush dangles above their heads, suspended in time in front of the Primavera. Then, slowly, it lowers itself into Will Graham's outstretched hand, and Hannibal knows he is lost. Thank you, Melina. Thank you. I really like that a lot. Yeah, that was beautiful. One thing I wanted to mention, I'll make sure I mention now, is that we're going to have the links for all five of these works in our show notes, mm. um, in the, the description um, of of the show. So um, sure. SoundCloud or whatever, you'll, you'll be able to, to link to these um, if you haven't already found them before. I'm sure you can probably search yeah. the names, but we'll, but we'll have the links there for easier. Yeah. So. 
beautiful. Awesome. Oh, it's me again. Yeah. Let me, let me burp again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Do you want to read the summary for this next one? Yeah. To kind of, because it gives the, the premise, uh-huh. since we're just going to do the first part of it. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't have pulled the microphone no, away. No, I know, I, I forgot. No, I, I knew that I was going to talk. So. <laughs> um, okay, this next piece is called The Promise by Tiggy Malvern. Um, and the summary is, it's not easy growing up as Will Graham. It's almost as hard being his father. Okay. <sighs> Here we go. And I can't remember how much. I'll, we'll see how much I decide to actually read once we get there. You can look at the clock that way. Okay. The world... <laughs> I've already fucked up. All right, let's start. Okay. <clears throat> the words circle around him over and over, sing song and pitch, demanding his attention. His back's pressed to the schoolyard wall, his knees drawn tight against his chest, his eyes scrunched shut to keep them out. It doesn't help. It never does. In his head, he can see the letters stretch and flex, dancing to the rhythm of the chant with gleeful grins. The light through his eyelids dims as the figure leans closer, blocking the sun. The words are louder now, warbled almost at his ear, crowding him close and personal. He closes his eyes, clenches his his fingers into a fist, and punches upwards, smashing his hand into the face above his own. The words are gone instantly, and there are drawn-out seconds of silence as the blood rushes from Caleb Harris's nose, smearing over his chin and dripping onto the grubby white of his t-shirt. And then his face crumples up, and he turns and runs, footsteps fading into the dirt, leaving Will to sit and soak up the peace. There are two drops of blood smeared across his knuckles. He lifts his hand into the sun, the color leaping vivid as he twists it into the light. It's the cleanest red he's ever seen, a pure bright hue, untouched by the summer dust. The moment's there to replay in his head, the short, sharp impact of his hand that brought the quiet. Seven-year-old Will Graham tilts his head back to the wall and he doesn't remember, he relives. The wood creaks as his dad walks up the steps and across the porch, feet dragging slow and tired. Will already knows he's in trouble before the door opens, and he slithers from his sprawl over the sofa onto his feet, standing with his arms stiff by his side. Hi, Dad, he says, and he's trying to act normal, but it's hard to ignore the squirming in his stomach. His dad sets his toolbox down by the door. Hi, son, he says, and he smiles at him. But it's small and worn and not right. He walks over to Will, stopping in front of him, and Will has to tip his head all the way back to look at him. I got a call from the school today, he says. They tell me you hit a kid and busted his nose. Will stands as tall as he can, clenches his fist till his nails dig in. He was mean. He's bigger than me and I made him stop, he says, fierce and satisfied because he won, and it was good to make Caleb pay. Did he hit you, son? His dad asked gently. Did he hurt you at all? Will thinks about that for a moment. It had hurt his head, but that's not what his dad means. No, he says, looking down at his feet now. He said nasty things. His dad crouches down to look at him in the eye, and Will's almost the taller one now when he does that. We can't go around hitting people just because they say things we don't like. 
the world wouldn't be a good place to live in if we didn't if we did all that you know the world didn't feel like a good place to will on a lot of days when he's in school he was saying horrible things about mom he says sticking out his lower lip and about why she left his dad sighs and reaches out to rest will's hand on his shoulder one brief squeeze and then gone i know son but I had to leave work to talk to the principal again, and we can't afford to be losing money right now. You understand? Okay, Will says quietly. Sometimes people come to the door asking where his dad is and saying to tell him the rent's late. I won't do it again. His dad's so disappointed in him, and something twists and aches in his chest because he let him down, and he's been proud he could make Caleb stop, and now it's ruined. Will... Will wants to fall forward and have his dad wrap his arms around him and squeeze, but big boys don't want that. He's sure his mom would have hugged him anyways. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. That's just the starter part of that. A little origin story for you. It's really, really beautiful, the whole promise. You guys should read the whole thing. So now I'll be reading chapter one of Diffusion by Verdant. And the summary is a quote from Thomas Graham, The Diffusion Process, 1971. Gases of different nature, when brought into contact, do not arrange themselves according to their density, the heaviest undermost and lighter uppermost, but they spontaneously diffuse, mutually and equally, through each other, and so remain in the intimate state of mixture, for any length of time. And this is Will and Hannibal over the course of three seasons, and I'll be reading chapter one, The Natural Movement of Particles. The weekend before he meets Dr. Lecter, Will Graham goes fishing. There's a stream behind his house. He wades into the water, anchoring himself in the middle as if a rock in churning rapids. He casts his line. The morning sun is warm on the back of his neck, the air chill with the impending winter. The cold of the water permeates through his waders, bracing and numbing at the same time. He returns home just before noon, two fish with him. He will remember that morning, the water flowing around him, the sun glimmering over the surface, and his feet anchored deep. There's nobody around. No evidence for him to interpret, no murders for him to read, no murderers for him to understand. It is just Will, in the middle of the stream, alone. The water is clean and cold. It is never the same twice. Hannibal eats alone. It's well cooked. The lungs are tender and the cartilage worked until no longer tough. The knife is sharp, but not that sharp. Nonetheless, it cuts through the tissue. He lifts the meat to his mouth and inhales. The Maillard effect, among others, leaves a memorable scent. When he chews, the sound of his teeth and jaw echo through the bones of his skull. They follow him all the way to his mind palace, and the steady snap and crack of teeth snapping through the cartilage the jaws working, muscles soft and tender. The dining room is fragrant with herbs and soft dirt. In the darkness alone, it is as if he is germinating. 
his root system spread and just waiting to sprout. In Minnesota, Will Graham opens the door and lets Hannibal Lecter in. His mind is on the case and the solution is precipitating in the shadows of his mind. The sight of him draws Will short. Before he remembers who he is, he is focused unerringly on a cannibal who loves his daughter so much that he has murdered nine girls. Eight girls. As the sun rises, he is fed and watered and he eats with the careless abandon of the hungry. He eats until there is nothing left to eat, and then he sets down his fork. Hannibal Lecter is here on overtures of friendship. Will Graham has never needed friendship. It is their first meal together. He says, I don't find you that interesting. You will, Hannibal says steadily back. His hands trembled. Garrett Jacob Hobbs lay slumped against his kitchen counter. A full clip of bullets in his chest. Blood splatter clouded his glasses. He cannot close the wound in Abigail Hobbs's throat. Hannibal pushes his hands aside. He pinches the jugular vein closed. Abigail Hobbs will live. He stands before the Hobbs's house, eyelids shuddering. He can see. See? He goes back to the stream. He stands in the middle of the water, cold and familiar. Abigail Hobbs lies in a hospital bed in a medically induced coma. Hannibal Lecter sits in a room of marbled stone. Will Graham turns back to his house. He stands in broad daylight and stares at it as it condenses in the distance. Sharp peaks and empty windows in the daylight, there is no way to tell if it is inhabited or not. It simply is a house in the distance. The dogs press against his leg when he returns. He's fed them and housed them, and they remember Will Graham. The Will Graham before Minnesota fed them and housed them, and the Will Graham after Minnesota will feed them and house them, and that is enough for them. They offer no words of assurance or judgment, and Will says nothing in return, just bends down and presses his face to their soft fur. See? Hobbs's voice whispers like the wind through water. See? Hannibal Lecter types up a letter of recommendation. More or less sane, he assures. Totally functional. A thousand killers slip through Will Graham's mind, old and new, and despite his moorings, he finds himself floating, adrift, as if through water. He opens his eyes and he's standing before a classroom full of his students. They watch him for insight and he closes his eyes, bracing himself against the current of their awaiting gazes. There, is, there are lectures he can give in his sleep, old serial killers whose pathology have been studied a dozen times over. There are lectures he can give even when he is stalking a stag through the woods knee-deep in rushing water. This is not one of them. He clicks the slide. Cassie Boyle hangs, impaled on the antlers of a severed stag's head. Her ankles are crossed. For a moment, he remembers. And then, the killer who did this wanted us to know he wasn't the Minnesota Shrike. He is better than that. Hannibal enters. He watches. He's an intelligent psychopath. He is a sadist. He will never kill like this again. 
So how do we catch him? Will Graham asks. This copycat, Will reveals, eyes raised to the back of the room, is an avid reader of Freddie Lowndes and Tattlecrime.com. He had intimate knowledge of Garrett Jacob Hobbs' murders, motives, patterns, enough to recreate them and, arguably, elevate them to art. Before Garrett Jacob Hobbs murdered his wife and attempted to murder Abigail, there had been a single phone call, untraceable. It had been enough to send him into turmoil. It had been enough to have him take a knife and slash his wife's throat, slash his daughter's throat. He clicks one more slide and says, I believe the yet, the as yet unidentified caller was our copycat killer. Hannibal smiles. Murderer after murderer, Will Graham drifts through their minds, spluttering in the depths of their depravity, flowing downstream closer and closer. There is one murderer who dominates the Chesapeake Bay. Over 150 major rivers ran, drained into the Chesapeake Bay. All of them, the Potomac is perhaps the most well-known, of all the murderer's minds that Will drifts on, there is one he has yet to see. Along the Patapsco River, close to where it empties into the Chesapeake Bay, stands a city called Baltimore. Like a dam, Jack Crawford directs Will Graham towards the Chesapeake River. In a fortress of stone in Baltimore lives a man who claims to be the Chesapeake Ripper. And after Will Graham goes and looks and goes and looks and goes and looks. Murderer after murderer, murder after murder, night after night. Murder after murder. Corpse after corpse, flesh and more flesh. He is not the first to look. He will not be the last. But as Will sinks deeper and deeper from sunlit surface to unfathomable depth, he opens his eyes and amidst the pressure of water, I have a date with the Chesapeake Ripper, Will says, and flourishing in the fortress that is domain, Hannibal spreads his fare before his guests and smiles. Nothing here is vegetarian. I'm going to stop it right there. Yeah. Beautiful. It's a lot of fun to read. Yeah, that is really fun. I love that piece because, and you, um, sorry, um, I highly suggest looking at it um, up online because it has this wonderful sort of poetic structure of this mm -hmm. back and forth um, between Hannibal's thoughts and Will's thoughts, and um, it's really interesting to to see. Yeah, it's fun. Um, okay, let me see if I can remember where I told myself I was going to stop in this next <laughs> place okay um i believe this comes from our good friend kyla from mm -hmm. twitter um so mm -hmm. thank you kyla for sending that our way um this next piece is called mirror of the mind and move this a little closer to me mm -hmm. um by caged tiger the summary reads in the early 1900s Baltimore, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, investigator of su supernatural beings, discovers a young man at the local theater with an astonishing ability to both read and project emotions. For once, it seems, something has dropped into his lap that is entirely new in his experience. 
So I'll be reading a part of chapter one. The lights in the theater dim and a hush falls over the audience. Hannibal shifts and feels faint disapproval tug at the corner of his mouth. Though he understands that the new electric lights are safer, he misses the living flicker of gas lamps, the organic heated glow that makes these electric lights seem flat and buzzing by comparison. There is a certain unreality to them. When a gas lit dimmed, you felt like you were being let in on an intimate secret. When the electric lights dim, all that happened is that the room is a bit darker. Two guards appear on the stage. Bernardo come to relieve Francisco at his post. They speak their lines passably well, but Hannibal has seen much better performances than that offered by this tired, poor playhouse. Even the musty wood of the stage seems to be giving only a half-hearted performance, creaking unpleasantly at odd intervals when the actors are not careful enough with their footing. Hannibal glances over at Alana next to him, but her eyes are focused on the stage. She seems no more impressed by the current performance than Hannibal is, but her anticipation is clear. She knows what they're here for, has seen it before. Judging from her mounting excitement, Hannibal imagines it must be quite impressive. He sighs silently and leans back, drawing up his patience. The ghost of the elder Hamlet enters, portentous and terribly acted, and departs once more, leaving the other characters all aflutter. No effort has been made of any sort of production value. The king sweeps onto stage from the wings in white costume and white face paint and leaves across the other direction. Not even a simple trap door use gives any indication that the character is anything other than a wandering albino. Hannibal rolls his eyes. The scene ends and the lights go black for the set change to the second scene. Alana sits forward suddenly, her hand grabbing Hannibal's wrist and squeezing. He glances at her once more, but even in the dark, her attention on the stage is rapt. Hannibal starts to lean towards her to whisper, but then he feels it. He glances at the stage. The lights come back up and Hannibal's attention is consumed his condescension for the theater forgotten. Even before he speaks, even as King Claudius's monologue drones on, Hannibal's eyes are fixed on Hamlet. He knows the young man can be no other. Even without speaking, this Hamlet radiates grief, mourning his father, as well as a sickly adolescent hatred for the man in front of him, at once petulant and agonizing. Hannibal is not usually a man of strong emotion, and yet he feels the bile rise in his throat. He hates Claudius, in a way he has not hated anyone in a long time. He wants to kill that man for stealing away Hamlet's mother, for disrespecting the elder Hamlet. His sickness stretches towards her, too. Betray betrayal burning in him like acid. He feels a desperate longing for the past for a way to turn back time and undo the tragedy of his existence. And all of this simply by looking at the young man on stage with his tousled brown hair and hidden defensive eyes. He feels Alana nudge him slightly, bringing him back to reality and only now revealing how entirely swept up into the character's emotions he had become. He turns to her and she smiles. 
her expression equal parts understanding and triumph. I told you, she murmurs. So you did, Hannibal admits. Looking around, the entire audience is just as enchanted. There is none of the usual hollering and clapping that he would expect from an audience of such meager sophistication. He allows his attention to be drawn back inexorably to the man on stage, even as Hamlet speaks for the first time. Waves of emotion sweep over Hannibal, deeper than he has experienced in ages. He is wrapped with fascination, watching Hamlet's every move. Even as the play continues and every other aspect of the production fails to live up to its star, Hannibal remains entranced. With every word of dialogue, he feels Hamlet's pain, the torture of his indecision, the paranoia within him. He feels these things as though they were real, more real in fact than if he were feeling them himself. The emotions bloom in him like color, cut through him like a swift wind, fall upon his shoulders gently like a cloak. Whatever the scene calls for, this young Hamlet plays the emotions within like a skilled musician at an instrument, weaving them around his audience and enveloping them, forcing them to join right alongside him, bringing them with him into the story. By the time they reach intermission, Hannibal is utterly certain that the man is not natural. Hannibal is not certain he has ever felt his own emotions so profoundly, let alone anyone else's. He is thoughtfully silent as the orchestra strikes up a lively tune for the interval. Alana nudges him once more. What do you think? She asks quietly. Stag genus, Hannibal says, as though this was not obvious. He has no awareness of his own abilities? Alana shakes her head. Not that I can tell. Unless he's manipulating me somehow, I'm not sure I'd be able to notice. You felt how powerful he is? But no, as far as I can tell, he thinks everyone feels as strongly as he does, and he puts his projections down to acting and nothing more. He has difficulty interacting with others, as you might imagine, and his isolation has kept him from comparing himself too closely to humans. Hmm, Hannibal murmurs. Perhaps we should keep it that way for now. No sense alerting him to the issue until we've made a more comprehensive study. This analysis may prove a complex one. She nods. I'm glad Jack caught this so early. If he keeps this up, he's not going to stay hidden for long. What do you think? Uh, Empath? Channeler? Uncertain, Hannibal hedges. More study is needed. It is too soon to be definite, but Hannibal has the exciting, breathless intimation that this might be, for the first time, something new. I think I'm going to stop there. All right. So this is Mirror the Minds, much longer than the other pieces. So this is the first part of chapter one, but it's worth exploring and reading everyone out there. It's really interesting. Yeah, it is super interesting. (laughs) Thank you, Kyla, again. Yes, thank you so much. Okay, so for our last piece that that we'll be reading, um, this is definitely much more in the erotica genre yeah. Yeah. of of um what's the word i'm looking for a fan fiction yeah um i'll be reading 
Let's see how much time we have here. I'm going to read a selection from this. Um, it's called A Growing Obsession by Tiggy Malvern, um, who I believe also wrote The Promise. Mm -hmm. So we got two of Tiggy's works here. Uh, the summary is, four times Hannibal Lecter didn't masturbate, and one time he did. So I'll be reading a selection from the, from the middle. The office is empty, at last, quiet, settling into the floorboards as the spaces between the books. The paramedics, the police, the FBI, and the forensics team have all departed, taking the bodies along with them. The scents will need considerably longer to disperse. The blood, the urine, and fecal matter. The rich, metallic overlay of adrenaline and fear. Hannibal sits at his desk, pain throbbing deep in his thigh and wrist with each beat of his pulse, every surge of blood beneath the dressings a stinging reminder of mortality and of life. His own mortality is not at the forefront of his mind. Will. For almost an hour he had thought him dead, believed Will forever removed from his world, all chance of friendship, succor, and shared understanding snatched away. And then Will had walked in, astute, observant, absorbing the cruelty and savagery and intent in his surroundings before seating himself on Hannibal's desk in quiet peace. Will looked upon Hannibal's rawest self and smiled. Hannibal contemplates that smile again now. The curve of his lips the dimple etched into his cheek beneath the stubble, the dip of his lashes, the salt-heavy musk of his sweat beneath his clothes, an olfactory concerto of exertion and fever. Hannibal had believed himself in too much pain to be capable of mustering an erection. Apparently he was mistaken. The blood pumps fiercely below his waist, and for more than the healing of wounds. His torso is bruised from kicks and falls, and his head thumps with the dull ache of trauma. Will's survival has pr provoked his arousal, but Hannibal doesn't feel sufficiently motivated in this moment to encourage and complete it. He looks upon the chaos of his immaculately organized world, gathers close his laptop and his phone, and makes the first call of what will become many. Will's head tips back, stretching and tightening the lines of his neck. His lips part wide to accept the ortolan in, his, in its entirety, closing again at his fingertips. His jaws, his jaw begins to work, the crunch of bones audible over the gentle flow of the piano. Will lowers his chin, then raises to eyes to to meet Hannibal's, watching with equal intensity as Hannibal inserts his own morsel. Hannibal closes his lids to fully appreciate the flavors, the sacrifice of the bird to this experience. When he opens them again, it is to see Will's throat bob as he swallows, head tilted in contemplation. Will is 
David incarnate, a living masterpiece forever poised on the edge of violence, an artwork who speaks of murder, knowing his choice to kill is righteous and just. Hannibal hasn't been f truly flaccid since Will arrived, the woolen overcoat sliding from Will's shoulders and onto his hands, damp with clinging raindrops. Now, now he sh shifts in his chair, adjusting himself to accommodate the change before he stands to pour another glass of wine. He's not alone. He can smell Will's arousal too mixed beneath the new cologne that accompanies the tasteful clothing. The basin middle notes are woody, layered with bergamot, nutmeg, and yuzu. It speaks of a timeless freedom and individuality entirely suited to the unique creature it adorns. Hannibal would change nothing about this evening, and when Will leaves, when Will leaves, it only feels natural. Their time is not quite yet. Hannibal feels its approach, the tension ratcheting tighter between them, clicking another notch in the cog with each visit, each shared bite of meat and words. Anticipation only heightens the delight. A meal prepared over many days tastes brighter and deeper for the patience involved in its creation. He looks down at the table at the scattered ruins of their feast, and he takes a breath, pressing a hand to the cloth below his belt, to the taut swell of his own flesh. It won't be enough. He can wait until it is. He's so close now, so close to having everything of will, the two of them bound together irrevocably in desire and deeds. He takes the plates to the kitchen, stacking the dishwasher and filling the basin with warm, soapy suds. He cleans the delicate china by hand, rinsing it and placing it to dry piece by piece, and his erection subsides naturally as he works. I'm going to stop it right there. Beautiful. Leave you guys wanting some more, just like Hannibal was. That's right. So that's... Our fanfic, you know, the things we've chosen. Thank you so much to everybody for 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 sending in uh, your suggestions. Um, a Growing Obsession was the one that we just kind of found. I, I found mm -hmm. as I was searching around. I think this is a nice assortment. Please go to the links in our show notes. Read the whole works. Read a bunch more. Um, send us some more stuff because we'll be doing this again. And this was fun. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thank you uh, so much. Um, coming up... Of course, we're going to be diving into season two. It gets fucking real in it, season two. It's real. I can't wait. I cannot um, wait. I can't wait. And so, yeah, I guess in, in the next two weeks from whenever we posted last time, or does that make sense? Are we mm -hmm. off schedule? No, no, we're oh, on I schedule. Guess, I guess two weeks from yeah, whenever we'll we post, post this. on the 15th, and so two weeks from the 15th, yeah. Great. Um, and then maybe also there mm -hmm. might be a surprise for you all coming. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Something might be happening soon. That is um, special episode. Yeah, another maybe. special we'll episode. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you for listening, you all. Um, and I guess we'll see you in season two. Take care, everybody. Bye.